Blessings upon Bishop Hodges. We thank God for him and the unique voice that he is and the tremendous anointing upon his life. Because of him, I've been coming this way better than 20 years. And I'm grateful to be back in Marietta again today at the Gathering of Champions where champions gather and uh, where we walk in the Lord and uh, understanding his word. I'm so grateful to be here. I'm grateful for the staff and the leaders who uh, are working under his direction here today. As you continue to pray for your pastor, I know I'll be in Liberia in a couple of weeks, and I know how challenging it can be when you're away from home on another continent and on that type of an assignment. And uh, so we're continuing to pray for him and uh, lift him up. He is a great gift to this city, metropolitan Atlanta, and certainly here at the gathering of the champions. Now, I'm grateful to be back. It's been about eight years since I've been here, and some know me and some don't. Uh, but I'm grateful for the fellowship and for the gathering this morning as we are in a very important time for this church. I'm looking all around. Of course, I see the 150 behind me. I also know that by the pastor's uh, leadership that this is stewardship month and I know that there are some very important goals and objectives that are going on right now and we certainly want to be a part of that as we come in today you know um, it's very interesting thank you it's very interesting that um, we're standing here today and it is exactly 100 days from the new year and the new year will be 2020. And 2020 is a number that you hear when it comes to the eyes and understanding clarity of vision. Those who see perfectly, they call it 2020 vision. And so as we're standing here today, 100 days from 2020, we're believing it to be a year of focus, a year of vision and a year of clarity. I've been preaching it now for five years. I started five years ago talking about 2020 and the impact it's going to have on the body of Christ and the shift that's going to take place. And here we are today starting 100 days until 2020. Well, not only that, but this day is the last day of summer. So a season ends today, and a new season begins tonight. At 3 a.m. tonight, autumn will come. The season of summer ends, and a new season begins. I'm waiting on you to catch up with me. We're 100 days from 2020. I need to see more clearly. How many need more focus? How many want to know what God wants in your life? How many of you want to be able to move into those things with power and authority? That's coming in 2020. But then when the season shifts tonight, and you know, whenever God starts anything new, he always starts it in the darkness. You know, today began last night. And at 12 midnight last night, this day got started. 
by the time the sun came up and you saw the day, the day was already six hours old. That's the way God works. He always starts a new season in your life in the darkness of your life. The dark times, the hard times, the troubling times, the times when we can't see well. Paul said we see through a glass darkly or dimly. So in the darkness of my situation, it means a new day is dawning. It means a new season is beginning. It means that God is shifting things in my life. And so I want to talk to you about that today because I want you to understand something about where we are and what God requires of us at this time. So I'm going to talk to you about a new beginning. Would you say that, please? A new beginning. Say it with your outside voice, everybody. A new beginning. To do that, I'd like to read Genesis 28. And I'm asking if you focus on verse number 10 through 13, and then verse number 15 through 22 of Genesis 28. Genesis 28, beginning... At verse number 10, it says, then Jacob, would you say that please? Yes, then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream. Say that, please. He had a, say, I have a dream. Yes, he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I give it to you and to your descendants. And behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And so Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. And Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. And I return to my father's house in safety. Then the Lord will be my God. 
And this stone, which I've set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. I want to read this verse. He said, he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel, B-E-T-H, meaning house. E-L, a name for God, Bethel, the house of God. Where are we right now? And the original house of God was in a desert, a stone upon which a man lay his head, but he sensed the presence of God. The house of God. At the house of God, there's a new beginning in Jacob's life. At the house of God, there is a new start, a seasonal change, a countdown to greatness that starts at the house of God. And we gather in the house of God today because we recognize the importance of being in God's house. You know, God has only two competitors for first place in your life. The first is Satan and the second is self. But God requires first place. And Jacob called this place the house of God because he is now giving God first place in his life. There's an undeniable relationship between saints and the house of God. The saddest question I've ever heard anybody ask is, do you have to go to church to be saved? No, you don't have to go. You get to go. A saint wants to be in the house of God. My life is upgraded every time I come to the house of God. Whether I feel it or not, my life is made better every time I come here. Something on the inside of me is elevated. Something about my thinking, my mind is elevated when I come to the house of God. Well, what constitutes a house of God? According to what we read, first of all, the house of God is a place where sinners or where wrongdoers are welcomed. Jacob takes that stone and says, this is the house of God. Well, you have to know a little bit about Jacob. Jacob is the worst con man in the Bible. When you read about Jacob, you're reading about a guy that you can't trust. He's a trickster. He's a schemer. Anybody that deals with Jacob has to look out for their own interest. Just to look at his background is to see that Jacob is not close to being holy. He's not close to being righteous. He is not a good man. But where does he find himself? At the house of God. I know that we like to look at one another as being great and we like to present ourselves as being awesome and all of that. But the truth is, most of us in this room are like Jacob. We have a background that we're not proud of. 
Now we all have a resume, but we also have a rap sheet. And there's some things on our rap sheet we don't want anybody to know. We've done some things that we are ashamed of. We've said some things we wish we could take back. We've made some mistakes that would have destroyed anybody, but yet we're here at the house of God. Because the house of God is not for the perfect. The house of God is not for the righteous. The house of God is not for the people that's never done anything wrong. The truth is the house of God is for people like Jacob. People who've made mistakes. People who are overcomers. People who are survivors. People that have come through rough places and patches. But they're here at the house of God. The reason I have to come to the house of God is because I know myself better than anybody. I know what my weaknesses are. I know what my shortcomings are. I know what my problems are. I know where I've let myself down, let my family down, let God down. But thank God I can come to the house of God. If the ushers were checking folk to see whether or not you qualified to come in here, listen, none of us would qualify. But we're at the house of God because the house of God was built for those who know that the only righteousness that they have is in Christ. Oh, I've been to some churches where to let them tell it, everybody in there is perfect. And everybody in there has everything going on the right way. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not innocent, but I am forgiven. And I'd rather be forgiven than to be innocent. Because if I were innocent, I wouldn't need the blood of Jesus. I wouldn't need the name of Jesus. I wouldn't need the grace of God. But I am what I am because of the grace of God. I wish you'd just elbow somebody and say, Grace. Because I am who I am, not because I'm anything, but because God is everything. And the one that God uses to designate the house of God is not a priest. He's not a prophet. He is not a preacher. He's not an apostle. He's Jacob. He's a scoundrel. He's low down. He's a rascal. He's a hustler. He's everything that you avoid in life. He's nobody that you would cut a deal with. Nobody you share a meal with. Nobody that you'd want to be associated with. But that's the one God uses to designate the house of God. So the house of God is a place for wrongdoers. But secondly, the house of God is a place where elevation happens. Four wrongdoers. Jacob laid down on a rock, but he had a dream. Say he had a dream. Say I have a dream. And what did he dream? He saw a ladder. Well, what's a ladder used for? Elevation. A ladder is used to go up. So no matter how low down you've been, I wish I had a witness. No matter how awful you've been, no matter how bad you've been, at the house of God is your place for elevation. Jesus specializes in bad men. Jesus specializes in turning thugs into theologians. He specializes in turning devilish people into deacons. He specializes in turning pimps and prostitutes into preachers. 
He specializes in turning Jacobs into those that have elevation in their life. I wish I had a witness. Whenever I go to a church and everybody in there looks just alike, I know God ain't working there. I preached at a church one time. Everybody had on white, white dresses, white suits. I knew God wasn't working there because Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw not all clean men. I wish I had a witness. Not all righteous men. He said, I'll draw all men unto me. When I go to the house of God, I'm looking for somebody with some sagging pants on. I'm looking for somebody dressed like a hoochie mama. I'm looking for somebody that's got body piercings in strange places. I'm looking for somebody with tattoos around their neck and all over their body. I'm looking for somebody that looks just like the community where that church is located. Because when we gather at the house of God, it shouldn't be a bunch of folk wearing white. It ought to look just like the neighborhood where that church exists. Because when you're in church, if people who are not up on our level, we like to think. If people don't feel comfortable there, they're in the wrong place. Because what church is about is elevation. Can you say elevation? Oh, I came to Jesus as I was. But thank God I didn't stay the way I came. I'm not what I was because I've been elevated. The old saying used to be, I ain't what I ought to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Because there's a ladder in the house of God. And every round, I wish I had a witness. See, that's why I sing on the praise team. That's why I play the instruments. That's why I usher at the door. That's why I work in the sound booth. That's why I work in the ministries of the church because it's an elevation going on in my life. There's a ladder in here that reaches from earth to heaven. And so there's a ladder of elevation. But number three, what we get at the house of God and what constituted is that God reveals himself. Jacob had a dream. And in that dream, he met God. Because of that dream, when he woke up, he said, Surely, God is in this place. How dreadful is this place? You know, people aren't looking for a good church. They're looking for a move of God. And too many churches are trying to be what people are looking for rather than just be in God. I wish I had a witness. You can try all the ministries. You can try all the committees. You can talk about, well, what we need to do is be more effective out in the community. That's good. But the church offers one thing that you can't get nowhere else. And that's the presence of God. When I want to be in the presence of God, I don't go to the bank. I go to church. I wish I had the... When I want to be in the presence of God, I don't go to a restaurant. I come to church. And when I come to church, I don't come to see you. I come to see God. Doesn't matter what the preacher looks like. 
Doesn't matter what the singers look like. I didn't come to see them. I'm here to see God. And Jesus ought to be the center of attention. Music may be good. Preaching may be good. But all of that ought to be about Jesus. The songs that we sing ought not be about our personal struggles. Precious Lord, take my hand. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm one. I don't want to hear about you. I want to hear about Jesus. I wish I had a witness. I don't want you singing when the storm of life is raging. Stand by me. I don't want to hear about your storms. I want to hear about Jesus. Because Jesus said in this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. I want to hear about him that's already overcome. The Bible said thanks be to God that's given us the victory through Jesus Christ. The Bible said, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. How? Through Jesus Christ. When I come to God's house, I'm not looking for you. The church is not a matchmaking organization. You don't come here looking for a date. I wish I had a witness. The whole idea that, oh, I'm going to church, I'll meet a good man there. Honey, the men around here are just like Jacob. Doesn't make them good because they come to church. But we're at church because this is the house of God. He reveals himself at his house. You know what's so wonderful about it? None of us know God the same way. Now this is awesome about God. God is so amazing. What I know about him and what you know about him is not the same thing. So if I pass this microphone and we had a testimony service, every one of our testimonies would be unique. Because the truth is, although we know the same God, we don't know the same thing about him. Somebody knows him as a healer. Anybody here know that God? Not heard about it, but you know. Because he healed you. But others of us here know him as a way maker. Because we've been down and without, our month has outlasted our money. We don't have what we need to get by, but God stepped in. And a bill was paid. Money came from somewhere. Others of us know him as one who can calm you so you can sleep at night. And although you've got trouble going on in your life, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. He reveals himself. But the next thing at the house of God, not only is it for sinners or wrongdoers like Jacob, not only is it for elevation, not only is it where God reveals himself, but it is also where angels ascend and descend. Now check this out. When he had the dream, he dreamed that was a ladder. Would you say a ladder? But the ladder was peopled with angels. And the word said the angels were ascending. And descend. It didn't say they were descending and ascending. No, they were going up and coming down. 
which means the angels live here. Let me try that again. They weren't descending. They were ascending. Sometimes when I go to a funeral, I hear people make an awful mistake. They said, oh, the deceased person is now one of God's angels. Well, you just demoted that person. People don't become angels when they die. As a matter of fact, according to the Bible, we are saints. And saints outrank angels. Angels serve saints. And the Bible teaches at the end of it in the book of Revelation, the saints will judge the angels. God will judge us and we will judge the angels. I don't have a Bible reader. People don't become angels. People say, well, I know right now they're singing in the angelic choir. Well, honey, the angels don't have a choir. Bible never taught that angels have a choir. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even teach that angels sing. You say, well, they sang at Bethlehem. The Bible didn't say that. Your Christmas card said that. The Bible says that when, when the angels gathered over the shepherds and the shepherds above them were gathered a heavenly host and they said glory to God in the highest peace on earth. It didn't say they were singing it. It said they said it. Angels don't sing. You see, the greatest angel of all was Lucifer. Oh, I don't have a witness here. And Lucifer's name is Halal in Hebrew, Halal, which means praise. Music came out of him. When he got put out, the music got put out. That's why it's a sin to bring God a sorry praise service. Because the only music that God gets is when his saints sing. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Listen, when we sing, that fills the ears of God. Because the angels don't sing. Well, what do they do? I'm glad you asked. The last verse of Hebrews chapter 1 said the angels are ministering spirits that minister for those who are the heirs of salvation. It didn't say minister to those, but for those. The angels don't minister to me, they minister for me. Psalm 103 says the angels are ministering spirits that do the word of God. So God assigned angels to his saints. See, that's why I can't lose. I wish I had a witness. I can't lose because number one, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Number two, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Number three, I've got angels on assignment that are on duty to make sure that I prosper. I wish I had a witness. Honey, your angels came here with you. And they'll leave with you. And they're with you everywhere you go. But they only do the word of God. That's why you've got to learn the word of God. The angels don't help you find your car keys because that ain't in the word. But when you speak the promise of God, the angels go ahead of you and set that up in your life. 
I wish I had a witness. You said, but how fast can they travel before you can bat your eye? They've gone from earth to heaven and come from heaven back down to earth. Do you know when you pray, you pray in the name of Jesus? And when you pray in the name of Jesus, the Holy Ghost helps your prayers. You see, in heaven, there's God the Father and God the Son. On earth, there's the Holy Ghost and the saints. So the Holy Ghost is not in heaven. The Holy Ghost is in me. Romans says that when I pray, Romans chapter 8, the Holy Ghost helps me pray. When I don't know what I ought to pray for, the Holy Ghost fixes my prayers with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Holy Ghost then emails that prayer up to God. Jesus is at the Father's right hand. Make an intercession for me. I'm praying on earth. The Holy Ghost is helping me pray. In heaven, Jesus receives a Holy Ghost approved prayer. Turns it over to God and all God looks for is the name of Jesus. He doesn't have to read what I said. All he knows is his son turned it over to him. God the Father answers the prayer by giving the blessing to the angels. The angels move from earth, from heaven to earth and bring the answer to my prayer. I said he saw angels going up, come on now, and coming down. Going up and coming down. But there's another thing. Not only does the house of God constitute broken people like Jacob. Not only does the house of God have the ladder for elevation and not only does it be the place where God reveals himself and where angels are serving but the house of God is also where God and man are joined together financially. Jacob is in the house of God. The stone is there. The ladder is there. The angels are there. God is there. And then Jacob recognizes where he is. How dreadful is this place. How awesome is this place. He said if God is this good to me. I will surely give him a tent. You see at the house of God. There is a fiscal component. God is concerned about my spiritual life. Say my spiritual life. You said with the outside voice, God is concerned about what? My spiritual. But not only that, God is concerned about my physical life. Say my physical life. Come on, church. Come on. With his stripes, we are. So he's concerned about my spiritual man. He's concerned about my physical man. And he is concerned about my fiscal life. Because according to this with Jacob, there is a bond. He says, if God is this good to me. So it's at the house of God where man and God are joined together financially. Here, the laws of increase begin to happen in people's lives. You know, we're bombarded right now with motivational speakers. People inviting you to seminars where you pay a thousand dollars 
for them to tell you how to prosper. And most saints don't recognize that the house of God not only is about your physical life and your spiritual life, but your fiscal life. The Bible said Jacob vowed a vow, and here's what he said. If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey, that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, I will give him a tenth. Let me ask you something. Is God good to you? If he is, say yes. Is he with you in your life? On this journey that you take, can you tell there's a relationship between you and God? Do you have food to eat? Do you have garments to wear? Then Jacob said, surely I will give the tenth of my income, of my possessions unto him. You see, God, like any parent, wants or requires my best so he can give me better. A, a good parent won't settle for their child to do less than their best. They come in with a grade that you are not satisfied with. You look at them and say, now you can do better than this. Matter of fact, I'm going to put you on restrictions until I see you do better. I don't have a witness here. I require as your parent that you do your best. Dare you bring an F in my house. You're going to go to bed early. I don't want to go earlier. You're going. You're going to cut that TV off. But I like you. Well, you're not going to watch it. It comes on too late. You're going to give up that game. You're going to give up that iPad. Give me that cell phone right now. Why? Because your daughter did not do her best. You require that they do their best. Why? Because you want to give them something better. If they come in and they've done their best and you know it's their best, you don't punish them, you reward them. I wish I had a... God is our father. As our father, he requires that we give him what's best, not what's left over. After we paid a mortgage, after we paid rent, after we paid a car note, after we paid on the credit card, after we've gone to the concert, after we've bought some clothes, after we've made other payments, then I'll see what I have left. And your father puts you on restrictions. God is interested in my whole life. You see, when it comes to money, there's only three things you can do with it. Spend it, save it, and sow it. You can't do anything else. You get money, you spend it, save it, and sow it. Tragically, we do it in that order. We spend it first. If we got anything left, we figure out how much we can save. And then we most of the time have nothing left to sow. 
In America, we've created such a culture that we live in debt comfortably. Most people get out of debt, they figure how to get back in. They go to a car lot to buy a car, and you know what question they ask? How much is this going to cost me every month? Never dawns on them that if you can't pay for it all at one time, maybe you can't afford it. But the only thing we care about is the monthly payment, which might run eight years. So after six or seven years, you paid three times for the car. I wish I had a witness. Because we believe in spending. Come on now. How much did your hair cost? I'm looking down. I'm not looking up. How much? How much does it cost to look good? How much does it cost to make a pre? You don't feel good, but you want to look good. You're not doing good, but you want to look good. We believe in spending. I wish I had a witness. I deserve it. I work hard. Let me go out and show how much I deserve it by spending myself broke. God, I wish I had a witness. See, spending gets an immediate result. With the value of your money and most of the time it depreciates whatever you bought. Saving gets an immediate reward. Because if I save it, I still have it. And I might make some interest on it. But sowing gives future rewards. Now are you living for the immediate or the ultimate? Are you living for the right now or are you living for the tomorrow? Because if you're living for the right now, you'll never get out of right now living. Every check is spent before you get it. I wish I had a witness. When it's time for the income tax refund, you already got that money spent in your mind. That's why you got to go down to the, to the place where they do your taxes and pay them to give you a rapid refund. Because you're ready to spend that money. But God wants us to reverse it. You sow first. You save second. And then you spend. Say sow. Save. And spend. And you have to train your flesh. To do it in that order. See you ain't got no trouble with your spirit man. Because that came from God. That which is born of spirit is spirit. But your problem is the flesh. And the flesh is not just your physical body. It's also your soul. Which is your mind, your heart, and your will. Your, your physical body and your soul are spoiled. And by nature, they want to disobey God. So you will come to the house of God. And acknowledge that God is keeping you. Acknowledge that God is healing you. Acknowledge that God delivered you. Acknowledge that God is elevating your life. Acknowledge that you're on that ladder. Acknowledge that the angels are working for you. And then shake your fist in the face of God. And say, this is mine. I earned it. 
See, Jacob ran into God. And in running into God, you have to make a decision. And he made a decision to give God a tenth. I want you to know something. He did it while he was poor. Jacob didn't have anything. According to the word, if you read Genesis 32, the only thing Jacob had was a stick, a walking stick. When he said, I will give the tenth to God. When do you make a decision? When you ain't got nothing. When you're down and out. When do you make a decision? He made a decision when he had nothing. But according to Genesis 32, years later, he came back wealthy because of what he'd done. He said, I'm not worth all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown me. I crossed the Jordan with nothing but a walking stick. But now I've come back with two camps. We have to do the will of God. Say, do the will of God. Come on, say, do the will of God. You see, it's God's plan to bless people. I said it's God's plan to bless people. And we do the will of God because God wants to bless us. God wants to take care of us. God wants to prosper us. And we do what God tells us to do so that he can move us to where he wants us to be. Thank God he cares. He cares about what I have. And he cares about what I can be. And he doesn't want me to tie his hands because God has a plan for me. I said God has a plan for me. And the plan of God is that I prosper. The plan of God is that I have a future. The plan of God is that I have a greatness. And that's why I'm in a new beginning. And I'm in a change of season. That as I stand here today, I can truthfully say that God is my father. And as my father, he is providing a way. He is opening doors. And he is making pathways to my prosperity you know Jacob uh, started out uh, as a bad man but God changed his name uh, from Jacob to Israel and uh, Israel is the beginning of the nation of Israel and out of the nation of Israel came Jesus Jesus was born from the nation of Israel he came from a lineage of Jacob he came from the promise of Jacob and because of Jesus I'm in the house of God when Jesus started his ministry he cleansed the house of God when he ended his ministry he cleansed the house of God I am in the house of God there's a line 
between uh, Israel and Jesus uh, and Jesus and me. Uh, Jesus uh, is my light uh, and my salvation. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd uh, and I have no wants. Uh, yes, Lord. Uh, the Lord is uh, the strength of my life. Uh, of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, Yes, he is my deliverer, he is my strength, he is my healer, he is my provider, he did the opposite so we could do the reverse, he came down that we could move up, he suffered that we might celebrate, he became hungry that we might be filled, he died that we might live. Do you hear me? Jesus is the reason that I prosper and Wait a minute. Wait a minute. When I talk about Jesus, I'm looking for Jesus' people to show some sign. Is there anybody here that loves Jesus? Say yes. Is there anybody here that loves the Lord? Say yes. Is there anybody here that knows he'll provide? Would you stand up? Would you stand up? Would you shake somebody's hand? Tell them, neighbor, the only reason I'm here is because Jesus cleaned me up, picked me up, set me up. Thank God for his mercy. Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> 